be returning to the Gospel of Luke after some time away from it. Um, We're in Luke chapter 7. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, he, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. All right, so we were in the Gospel of Luke for quite a while. We went through six chapters of it, and then we took a break for quite a while to be considering the theme of evangelism. And then, of course, we just got through our um, Christmas series of sermons as well. So since we've been out of Luke for a while, I'm going to give a very quick recap of where we have already been in Luke. In chapter 1, we see two births foretold, the birth of Jesus and the birth of, first the birth of John the Baptist and then the birth of Jesus. We see an interaction between Mary and Elizabeth. We hear Mary's great uh, song or statement that she makes that's often referred to as the Magnificat. We see the birth of John the Baptist, and then we see Zechariah's song or prophecy, even you could call it, uh, where he pours out praise to God and predicts uh, part of the future of his son's life, which, which we saw. And then in chapter 2, of course, we just got through the holiday season and Christmas season. So we read about this, the birth of Jesus, the angel's message to the shepherds, and then Jesus was presented at the temple. In chapter 3, we saw John the Baptist. He's preparing the way for Jesus' ministry now as an adult. In chapter 4, we saw the temptation of Jesus and the beginning of his ministry, really. Uh, And then we saw how Jesus was rejected at Nazareth. Uh, We saw him cast out a demon. We saw him heal other people. We saw him preach in the synagogues. In chapter 5, he called the disciples, he cleansed a leper, he healed a paralytic, he called Levi, the tax collector, and then he answered a question about fasting. And then in chapter 6, we learned that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and Jesus healed a man with a withered hand and named the twelve, and then we saw what was called the Sermon on the Plain, uh, which we went through in our last study of Luke chapter 6. Uh, several months ago. So now we're in chapter 7. We're in verses 1 through 10 this morning. And this one is where Jesus heals the centurion's servant. I love this passage. I love this of probably of a lot of the healing passages. This one uh, I find uh, to be one of my favorites, I think. Um, And we're going to learn about the character and the faith of this centurion. And we want to see how we can 
uh, live out a faith like that and display a character like that. So first, I want to put up uh, some notes about the character of this centurion. A few notes I jotted down as I was going through all this, that he showed great character in, in several ways. He cared for his servant. He loved the nation of the Jews. He built them a synagogue. That's pretty significant. Yet he's very humble. And so those are some character notes. And then some notes about his faith. One, that he trusts, and these will come back up again, so if, you're, if you didn't write fast enough, those note takers, they'll be back. Um, but faith, he trusts that Jesus can heal. He understands the authority that Jesus carries. And then he demonstrates the logic of faith. And we're going to talk about that as we go through. First, though, let's talk about what is faith. Biblically speaking, we have a clear definition, right, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is a sense within ourselves that what we believe to, true, to be true and the promises that we hold will be proven correct. It is a conviction of things we cannot prove in any scientific sense. Uh, but nonetheless, we have a strong belief that in time, these things will be proven right. Our faith is not, is not without evidence, but it's, it's not faith if you have it right in front of you. We're, the faith is something that you're looking to, uh, to be proven completely and to see that it comes true. Now, when you see, if you've ever been on YouTube or seen some of these uh, debates that atheists have had with other people, sometimes Christians, sometimes non-Christians, about the whole idea of creation versus uh, materialism, which is that the Big Bang, you know, there was nothing, and then suddenly there was something, and, and evolution, all those things. There's a lot of those online, and I find them interesting sometimes to watch. Um, and the atheists will rail about the idea that they have faith in their theories as well. Oh, it's not faith, they'll say. Um, they'll, they'll present it as though faith and science are opposed to each other. But science can't even prove all of its own theorems. Uh, Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, got really mad at John Lennox in one of these debates. Lennox pointed out that Dawkins had faith too. His faith was in the idea that out of nothing, something came and everything came uh, without a cause. Dawkins cannot prove this by the scientific method. It's a theory. And we cannot prove that God spoke everything into existence by a scientific experiment. We can prove it by God's word, but you can't prove it in the scientific sense where you can uh, show it on paper or show it in the microscope or something like that. So really... It is true statement that both sides have an element of faith in them. So the biblical definition here of faith, that is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, the atheist does not want to admit that this describes his faith in the Big Bang just as much as it describes our faith in the gospel. The one who believes in the Big Bang also has a faith or an assurance they feel about things they hope for and they have a conviction of things they haven't seen. Um, they just happen to be wrong. And we're going to look at these points again as we go through. So let's, let's look at them one more time quickly, these 
character points and the faith points, and then we'll go through. The character, that he cared for his servant. Remember, we're talking about this centurion here. He loved the nation of the Jews, and he built a synagogue and was humble. And, then, and the faith elements that he trusts that Jesus can heal, he understands the authority that Jesus has, and he demonstrates a logic behind his faith. So let's go to verse 1 again. He finished all these sayings in the hearing of the people. Uh, sorry, after he finished all these sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. So what sayings had he just finished? I preached on them just months ago, so you hopefully still remember. But uh, in chapter 6 of Luke, says, this was I referred to it as the Sermon on the Plain, um, where Jesus gave uh, many of similar statements as he did to in the Sermon on the Mount, which is found in Matthew 5 to 7. Uh, so anyway, Jesus had finished saying, uh, basically giving quite a long presentation, and now after this, he entered Capernaum, and now we enter this narrative that we're at this morning. And then in verse 2, there's a centurion, it says, who had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. Well, what is a centurion, you may be asking? Uh, and centurion, the, the root word is, is the same word we get the word century from, which is 100 years. Uh, a centurion was an army or um, military officer who oversaw 100 or possibly more than 100 soldiers. To give you a comparison, if you're familiar at all with any of the military rankings today, it would be similar to maybe an 04 or an 05. Captain, maybe a major, depending on what branch of service, but um, in today's military. So that's probably about what his status was in comparison to today. It says he has a servant that's sick. Matthew's account to this, uh, he, so this same, passage, this same uh, story is told by Matthew. In his version of it, he adds that there was a paralysis, um, which um, in those days they would not have the diagnostic that we do, so it would be hard to know. But generally speaking, if someone was paralyzed in those days, they would be pretty close to death because if you can't take care of yourself you can't swallow or things like that, then um, you, you'll be in trouble really quick without any medical intervention. Then it says this, the servant was highly valued by him. And we may think like money value when we say that, but really if you look into the study of, of the words that this was written in originally in the Greek language, um, it seems more like a, a personal uh, investment, more of a personal value that he held. So he personally cared for this servant. Um, now, in those days, a lot of servants were very poorly treated. And, no, and that was just how it was. And nobody, a lot of people didn't even care. That was just, if you owned a slave or a servant, they were literally property. And you could treat them however you wanted, almost without limit. Uh, there were some limits, but um, many were treated very poorly. Clearly, this centurion treated his servants well because he cared about them. Um, some commentators feel it could have been the, like more like a personal servant, like a valet or something like that, someone who personally took care of this man. Um, it could be, or it could be that he cared for all of his servants this way, um, and he was just a person that cared for people, you know, and I think that's probably as likely. Um, and this shows what, that character quality that I mentioned earlier, that there's a care and concern for a person who ranked lower than them. 
Have you ever noticed this, that um, there are people that when there's people above them, they are very deprecative towards them. They, they, they treat them really well. They honor them, but the people under them, they don't. And this guy, he, he seems to have really cared for the people under him. Anyone who's worked anywhere where there's some kind of a structure where people get promoted, or if you've been in the military and seen people promoted, you've seen this happen, where all of a sudden the guy was a lance corporal, for example. I, I'm talking about a personal experience that I witnessed, and I won't give any names to protect the guilty. They get, they're really nice as a lance corporal. That's an E3 in the Marines when I was in the Marines. Then they get promoted to corporal, and now some of their fellow lance corporals that they used to be equals with are now under them. And what happens? Very often, they are not very pleasant to be around anymore. Uh, and so that happens as human nature. Many times people get to a higher level and they look down on those under them. But this man, this centurion, didn't seem to do that. Moving to verse 3 then, it says, When the centurion heard about Jesus, he, saw, he sent him to... I'm sorry... He sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. Okay, so here's that faith quality, right? He trusts that Jesus can heal. And this is based upon more than just the reports on Jesus. That's partly the reason. He heard reports of Jesus, that Jesus was healing people. But we hear reports all the time. Do we believe all the reports? Maybe more and more now these days we don't believe all the reports we hear if we're watching the news because they change, right? Um, but this man heard the reports, but that alone doesn't explain his faith. You see, the Holy Spirit draws people to God. Faith itself is a gift from God. I know I read this one a lot, but it's a super important one, so I'm going to read it again. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not the result of works, so that no one may boast. When you read, it is the gift of God, the it is referring to the faith. Faith is a gift from God. So even this centurion, his faith in the healing power of Jesus was a gift from God. So how does a person get this gift of faith? Hearing a report about Jesus. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing the word of Christ This man's faith was in Jesus because he heard reports about him and believed those reports. And so he has the assurance of things hoped for. He has an evidence of things he cannot see nor prove scientifically. So he sends elders of the Jews. This is a very interesting thing. Um, You may say, why would he send elders of the Jews to Jesus on his behalf? Why not just send one of his soldiers that he's... He can order any soldier around that he wants within his hundred or more that he was in charge of. Why not send them? Um, It's showing great deference to the Jewish culture and to Jesus himself. Uh, He's respecting Jesus. He's showing his need that he feels for a mediator. Do you ever have that feeling that you need a mediator? You do need a mediator. You need a mediator between you and God, and hopefully your mediator will be Jesus Christ Um, But this man had that sensed need of a a mediator. So he he gets these elders of the Jews that he knows, that know him, and obviously have a high amount of respect for him, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Um, 
and he says, will you go to Jesus on my behalf and see if he'll come over here and heal my servant? So he sends them, and in verses 4 and 5, it says, When they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He's worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. For Jews to feel this way about him shows his character and respect that he had earned. They're going to bat for him, and this is evidence that he had proved himself to them. And they give two qualifying factors to prove this to Jesus by saying he loves the nation and he built their synagogue. Now, both of those would be not the normal thing for a Roman centurion of that time. Most of them would probably look down with disdain. They're there on behalf of Rome. They're, protect, they're either there to protect uh, the village or keep out um, people from rebelling or whatever it might be. They're kind of like the police in a sense and also the protectors in a way. Um, but they, didn't, they weren't uh, universally in love with the Jewish people. Many of them had great disdain for them. And you, you can find that out in many of the biblical accounts as well as many other historical sources that prove this to us, that the Romans didn't generally look favorably on the Jews. But this centurion did. He loved the nation of the Jews so much that he built their synagogue. Now, keep in mind, they're the ones pointing this out. He didn't necessarily send them to say this, but they're saying to Jesus, look, he's done all this stuff. He built the synagogue. He didn't just uh, pay for a piece of stained glass. You know, a lot of times churches, when they're building a new building, they'll, they'll raise money by saying, hey, if you give, we'll put your name or your dead relative's name on a piece of glass or a piece of something, and, and fundraising is done that way. This guy just built the whole thing. He built the whole synagogue. Moving on then in verse 6, it says, Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from their house, uh, from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. I did not presume to come to you. Here is that character trait of humility. He's got a humility before Christ and he doesn't even think very highly of himself. The Jewish elders felt very highly of him. They thought very highly of him. They're telling all these things to Jesus. Look, this guys he deserves this. He built our synagogue. He loves our people. Do this for him. He deserves it. But he doesn't say that about himself. He comes and says, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. I didn't presume to come to you. He, he knew that again, that felt need that he needed someone to go on his behalf. So he doesn't think that he is so highly of himself, but these Jewish elders had. And he sends a message then to show Jesus uh, that he had reverence for him and humility and possibly had fear of Jesus. You know, a lot of people, when they encounter the miraculous or they encounter God, what's the first response? There's fear. Why is it that so many accounts of Scripture, when an angel appears to someone, what's the first words they say? Do not fear. Why? Because their knees are knocking or they're falling down in fear, and that's what happens. So this guy might have had some fear. We don't read that directly in the text, but I think we might be able to infer that. And then in verses 7 and 8, now we're getting to really this, to me, the very powerful part of this passage. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority 
with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. The Lexham uh, Bible translation says, my servant must be healed. Say the word, and my servant must be healed. There's something here about the power of God's word that this guy recognizes, even though he might not have all the grasp of it, but he's showing he understands there's real power in Jesus. He's showing also that faith and logic are perfectly uh, complementary to each other. Uh, He's showing a logic here that I'm going to get to in a moment. First, he's got the faith, though. He's got a faith in the verbal command of Jesus. Now, who alone can speak things into existence? Who alone can command events to happen? Who alone can command the wind and the seas to be calm? God alone. Jesus can speak and things will happen in a creative sense. He can speak and things will happen. And if he says, that's why I like that little, the Lexham translation there, my servant must be healed. If Jesus gives a command, whatever he's commanding has no option. It's going to obey his command. And This is really um, the first example we see of someone saying something quite like this in Scripture. Other people felt the need for proximity to the healing. Remember the lady, I can touch his garment, then I'll be healed. Or people felt even in Acts, we see if if Peter's shadow passed over them, they thought there had to be a proximity. This guy is saying, look, I know that it's not about the proximity. It's about the power and the authority that Jesus had. He also understood something called the chain of command. So in the military, um, and in a lot of businesses too, there's a chain of command. Uh, There's whoever's at the top, like in our nation, the president is the commander-in-chief, and then there's people under them, the the secretary of defense and the various uh, heads of the branches of the military, and it goes down the chain of command. Now, when I was a private, I didn't get to call the president to say, I've got a beef. And if I did have a beef, that was gonna, I'd have to go through my chain of command. That would be first my corporal, and then my sergeant, and then maybe a captain, depending on where you're serving and how the structure of that particular unit is. You had to go through the chain of command. Also, the chain of command goes the other way, too. However, there is a difference. The, the guy at the top doesn't have to go through all the people in between. If the general walks onto the base and he tells a private, pick up that piece of gum, guess what that private's going to do? He's going to pick up that piece of gum, or he's going to be in big trouble. And especially if they're at war, we have what's called the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Some of you don't, may already know this. I was a legal clerk in the Marine Corps, and so I dealt with a lot of people getting in trouble for lots of little things. Most of it was minor. I saw, there were some serious things, too, but generally it was a lot of minor stuff. But disobeying a life, law, lawful order can get you in serious trouble. And if it's during wartime it can get you the highest penalty possibly if you disobey a lawful order and it causes other people to be killed or something like that. It's a very serious thing. But in order to get the obedience during the wartime, what do they require during peacetime? Obedience. You have to obey your commands of those above you in the military or they'll weed you out really early or train you (laughs) until you learn to obey. But this centurion knows 
in his system of authority in the Roman Empire, if he gives an order to anyone under his command and they do not keep it, it, it could be death for them. So they know they have to obey, these soldiers. And he understands this concept. The one in command must be obeyed. And he recognizes Jesus as the one in command. Say the word, and my servant will be healed. Or as Lexham said, must be healed. Jesus could have done this for all his healings, by the way. He had this power. He didn't have, like when Lazarus was dead, of course, we know there was a great lesson that Jesus was going to glorify God by going there and, and doing what he did. But he could have just said when he heard the report, oh, Lazarus is, is dying. Speak the word, be healed. He could have done it from a thousand miles away, a million miles away. He's got that power. Say the word and let my servant be healed. Jesus marveled then or was amazed only two times do we find in the Gospels that Jesus was either marveled or amazed or some synonym of that. One was the lack of faith of those in his hometown, and this is the other one. So Jesus is on two extremes. The only times Jesus is said to have been amazed or marveled at something was the lack of faith and when there's great faith. And so with this man is demonstrating some great faith. And this is faith from a man, by the way, who had not any of the upbringing of the Jews. So here's an early sign in Jesus' ministry that God's grace would come to Gentiles as well since he grants repentance and faith even to people outside of the tribe of Israel. And then in verse 10, of course, we see the evidence of the faith, the proof of the faith being well-established when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. So this is the proof. This is faith realized. No longer did the centurion need faith to believe the servant would be healed. His faith became sight. And that's what will happen for all who put their faith in Christ. We can reliably trust in God's word that all that God says is going to come true will come true. I want to read a part of Psalm 107, which is a great uh, passage in Psalms. It's got a whole list of people who were in trouble who called out to God and then God rescued them. And, and so if you're ever uh, in trouble, that's a great uh, passage to go to, Psalm 107. But I just want to read a portion of it here, for, starting at verse 17. It says, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. And how did he do that? Watch this. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. So, to recap those character and faith things we see in the centurion there, the character things we saw were that he cared for his servant, he loved the nation of the Jews, he built the synagogue, he was humble. There's probably other great character traits that this guy had, but those are a few of them. And some evidences of his faith, he trusts that Jesus can heal, he understands the authority that Jesus carries, and he demonstrates 
the logic of faith. Now, there's a line that you've probably heard for certain if you've seen some certain movies, you've, you've heard it, but it's not just from there. The line is, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Well, I want to change that a little bit as I sum up this. With great faith comes great humility. With great faith comes great humility. And I've seen this throughout my life. I've seen people who claimed to have great faith but were very arrogant people. And I've seen people who were very humble and yet displayed great faith. And I want to be in that second category personally. So as we wrap up together this message, it's a little shorter this morning, but uh, I hope you're encouraged by it. And I hope that you see as we look at this centurion some characters that you'll want to strive for yourself, some characteristics that you'll say, I want to be a caring person for those who are underneath me. And we don't, I know we as Christians don't like to use the words underneath, but people who are uh, at a lower level of society, so to speak, or subordinate to you at work, we want to be caring for those people. Um, we also want to love the nation of the Jews. We want to love the Jewish people. I think Oasis has shown that by showing this great uh, welcome to Lahayim as they started meeting here yesterday. And, and we want to continue to be people who care deeply for God's people. Um, we don't necessarily want to build a synagogue, but we do want to see God's church continually built. And I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about what we've been talking about the last several months, evangelism, sharing your faith. We want to be people of character who build God's church that way, and we want to be humble. And then we want to have these faith characteristics, too, that the centurion had. We want to have trust in God's word that Jesus can heal. And not just healing for physical sickness, but God's ultimate healing that he provided through the cross. That is, the healing of the sickness of sin that only Jesus can take care of for us as our ultimate physician. We want to also have a grasp of the authority that Jesus carries like this centurion did. An understanding that, you know what, I don't need to go through all these intermediaries between me and Jesus. Jesus is my mediator. And he has the power and authority to speak anything into my life or your life, and it will happen. And so we need to trust that as well. And also, I, that final one, I think we can get something from that as well. There's a logic to faith. You see, this guy was thinking very logically, very military, wouldn't you say? He's saying, chain of command, this guy's at the top. Anyone under there he tells to do, they're going to do what he's going to tell them to do. And so I'm just going to trust to go to the guy at the top and say, please take care of this situation for me. Jesus speaks, and it happens. It must happen. And so his servant must be healed. He knew that. So with all of that together, with great faith comes great humility. And let's be people who practice and live that out. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. May we be encouraged by the story of this centurion and the story about Jesus being gracious to heal. May we be humble, Lord, and submitted to Christ. 
And Lord, may we have a great confidence in the power of Christ to heal and to save. And may we be thankful evermore, Lord, for Jesus who went to the cross to bear upon himself the wrath of God on behalf of us poor, miserable sinners who outside of his sacrifice would have to bear that ourselves. Thank you, Lord, for the cross of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, Lord, that you would bless us as we go and give great grace and mercy to your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.